0: Amar Akbar Anthony is a film like no other. When you see it, you cannot forget it. Filled with music, comedy, drama, and love, it captures audiences in multiple ways. But what can we learn from a deeper look at this classic of Hindi cinema? William Ellison, Christian Lee Novetsky, and Andy Rotman offer a layered analysis of this 1977 blockbuster in Amar Akbar Anthony, Bollywood, Brotherhood, and the Nation, published by Harvard University Press in 2016. The authors examine the film through each of the narrative's three brothers, as well as their mother. All four perspectives offer a new vision of modern India. Through their investigation, they explore questions of religion and secularism, Indian nationalism, cinematic genres in Bollywood, politics, urban architectural space, and gender. They also examine the film as a powerful allegory of the nation, where differing religious identities, specifically Hindu, Muslim, and Christian, can produce a generative social harmony. Overall, the authors provide a rich portrait of this amazing film and a useful model for the interdisciplinary analysis of cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Peterson, and thanks again for listening to New Books in Religion. Without further delay, here's my conversation with William Ellison, Christian Lenovetsky, and Andy Rotman. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me on New Books and Religion, and thanks for writing this uh, wonderful book, Amar Akbar Anthony: Bollywood Brotherhood and the Nation. Uh, it's this is a fascinating book about a fascinating movie. Um, hopefully, if listeners aren't aware of this movie, they will they will go check it out. I, I will say that I've been uh, listening to the soundtrack over and over again. I rewatched the movie uh, in between reading chapters of the book, and uh, you guys do a very good job of. Uh, kind of looking at this movie in multiple ways, placing it in multiple contexts, uh, doing it in a very clear way, and also, um, as with the movie, kind of bringing a little bit of lightheartedness in your writing. So I, I appreciated that as well. But thanks thanks for uh, for joining me today. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. Thanks so much, Christian. so uh, traditionally on New Books and Religion, our first question is always biographical. Um, because I have all three of you here today, um, perhaps we can start – uh, instead of kind of a, a long biography about how did you all connect in your own scholarly careers and what interest in the study of South Asian religions did you all share?
1: I'm going to talk about this by saying that the three of us uh, intersected uh, when we were all three graduate students um, and we had different research projects uh, which we were pursuing. We kind of um, converged uh, in the city of Pune, in Western India, in Maharashtra. And uh, Andy and Christian met each other. Uh, they were fighting over an apartment, as I remember. <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't much of a fight. <laughs> Not much of a fight.
2: <laughs> I lost pretty quickly. Yes, and that, that's how we met. But then Will and I met because we were uh, pumping iron together at the local gym, Status, on Prabhat Road.
1: That's right. Um, and Prabhat Road is also where the National Film Archive of India is located. And that was the reason, uh, for me at least, to, to be in Pune at the time. Um, we, we sort of, I, I'd say, we collected around the film archive. Um, mm-hmm. All three of us, for uh, our, our different reasons, uh, were interested in doing um, in studying Indian film from various angles.
3: So I think that was one of the pleasures of the way we came together, is that each of us made use of Indian film, but in different ways and for different reasons, different purposes, different methodologies, um, which made it a very ripe topic for conversation.
2: Yeah, so, that, so that's how we kind of um, started, uh, let's say, lots of different conversations. Um, but how exactly, when did our conversation start about Omar Akbar Anthony Brothers? Can you remind me?
1: I think perhaps not specifically Amar Akbar Anthony, but (laughs) this is kind of a simultaneously intellectual and non-intellectual conversation uh, that that we've shared for many years since the inception of our friendship. Um, We would go see Indian movies together uh, or, you know, we would talk together about, Indian movies that each of us had seen. And I think that that a central problem for us was being baffled by Indian mass entertainment, uh, that we would go see films perhaps with American friends or Indian friends. Um, We'd go see films that were popular and we would find ourselves both compelled by the, the, the allure of Indian mass entertainment and also baffled by a lot of it. So I remember just sort of talking with Andy and Christian about, was that funny? You know, was that joke funny? Was that scene sexy? Is <laughs> that guy glamorous? Like, why, it was, why was he the good guy and he the bad guy? You know, there was a lot of, uh, I think, um, decoding that mm-hmm. went on among the two us. So an- another, another way to,
2: to sort of approach your question is um, how, we, how each of us encountered this film. Because I think we each had a different route to this film and a different impression. For me, the first time I saw the film, uh, as I recall, it was part of a, a a language training program. I was learning Hindi, and um, and this film was just selected as kind of like movie night to watch this film. Uh, and I remember sitting through it – I mean, the first – you, you've seen the film. So the first 20 minutes uh, – I can't think of something more memorable I've ever seen on screen. And I just, the whole film, I, I, I was just, my, my mouth was open. I, I couldn't believe what was happening on the screen. And I, and I couldn't shake the fact that something tremendous, even uh, in some ways life-changing, I mean, as it turns out, had occurred when I first saw that film. Uh, and then after that, anyone I spoke to who had seen the film kind of had the same feeling. They, kind of, they remembered that moment when they first saw it. So for me anyway, I knew something, something extraordinary uh, was going on with that film, and I wanted to deal with it at some point, someday.
0: Do you guys also remember your first time encountering this film? or? You know, it's funny because
3: it's the kind of film that I remember the first time I saw it, but somehow it's re-watching it that becomes so pleasurable and watching it with friends who've seen it before and watching them and singing along with songs and, you know, speaking back to the film. So, you know, it's a film kind of to inhabit and the times that I watched it with friends, it was a little bit like going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show or something Mm -hmm. where people are singing along and getting up and that it becomes a whole theatrical moment. And it was definitely for me, the first time I saw it being immersed in a world like that with friends who were shocked that I'd never seen it before. Um, and I remember for me watching it and thinking like, what would it be to really get the film? Like, who is it appealing to? It seems to, there's just so much going on. And to the extent that the film is kind of calling out or crafting certain kind of subjects, like who are these people and how could I be like that? Um, and it was part of my process of kind of learning as much as I could about South Asia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I definitely hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of feel like, I've always already seen the film. I, I can't, I can't like put my finger on, you know, as, as Kristen um, mentioned, viewing the film for the first time as part of uh, of Hindi class. And I can't put my finger on the very first time or who I was with. But for me, um, and, and I think I can, uh, this is part of what intrigues us, uh, about the film, and we write about this in our analysis. Um, it to me it seems like an amalgam of so many other Hindi movies yes. I was watching, both you know during the, the the inceptive year of our our friendship in Pune, and even before that when I started trying to understand things about Indian culture by uh, by studying Indian cinema. Amar, um, Akbar, Anthony. Is uh, it's an extraordinarily it's got a hugely eclectic sweep, and it incorporates all kinds of elements, uh, motifs, and details and themes from um, from the history, I'd say, of Hindi cinema. Um, so, <laughs> it, it, I guess all all of that relates back to my feeling of of deja vu. I guess I mean the first time <laughs> I saw Anthony, I you know somehow like these bits. Oh, this bit. Sort of is like this other film I've seen, and this bit is sort of like that other film I've seen. Um, So I think that contributes to my my complete memory loss of the very first time. There was no first time, right? Yeah. So so, um, this
2: this is uh, this leads to I guess uh, the the next stage of this project one of the, the really interesting things I discovered in my friendship with Andy and Will is that they both have a tremendous capacity to stage productions. <laughs> and uh, and I came to encounter this because of an academic conference. Um, Christian, I suppose you've been to many of these, uh, and you know that sometimes there's something less than titillating, I would say. Um <laughs> Uh, so maybe we can talk a little bit about how this project took off because it took off in the context of something like the Rocky Horror Picture Show.
3: I remember it very well. Um, so the three of us were performing about a decade ago, now a little bit more, uh, and mm-hmm. we'd signed up to talk about the film at the South Asia conference in Madison, Wisconsin at the university. And, we made the decision to present the material or our thoughts on it in the first person, much like we do in the book. This is the genesis for it, with the idea being, you know, what would it really mean to to think about the film in some ways from the point of view of the various characters? And that the fact that they're they both know something and don't know something. I mean, there's a kind of blind spot in them in that they they don't recognize something uh, and they recognize other things, particularly about the family, which we'll get into later. Um, And this begins our idea of engaging with the film in a kind of sibling rivalry. So in our performance as Amar, Akbar and Anthony, uh, I was dressed as Amar, the Indian police officer. Uh, Will was Akbar. And Christian, a little slow, but eventually became <laughs> Anthony. But that's also a tall order to be Anthony. Yes,
2: that's it. Yes, but my well. So if it's not clear, we we dressed in costume, um, and, <laughs> and and um, and had some other sort of things that that accompanied us. Some um, sacred images. Uh, my costume was con- consisted of me basically unbuttoning my shirt and wearing. <laughs> <laughs> and wearing a uh, religious symbol <laughs> around my neck. Um, but, but that was the idea. And, and uh, uh, that for, for that panel, and that panel was in this little room off next to the restroom. Um, that was, uh, so, so filled with people that, uh, that they not only, uh, piled out into the hallways, asking each other what was going on inside. Uh, but I think the fire marshal at some point, I remember seeing a <laughs> come in, in the back and look very concerned. Um, but, uh, uh, but it was a panel uh, that, that, after it ended, um, a kind of legend started. I Every mean, people would approach me all the time. People would actually, they would approach me and say, did, were you at the, did you, did you go to that panel? Did you see it? And I would say, actually, I was at the front of it. Uh, I was part of it. Um, but so it kind of took on this legendary quality. People talked about the fact that, you know, this was the first time they had ever been to a panel where, where there was a kind of joy in the panel and a playfulness And people taking on a kind of um, uh, theatrical approach to presenting what at the core we felt was also a a kind of uh, important, solid academic kind of theoretical argument about the film, about characters, about how you read film in relation to society, text um, and sort of meta text. and, uh, And that sparked this this project.
0: If I could uh, pop in here to kind of push you guys a little bit more uh, to think about this process of of writing then kind of of after this uh, inception moment and kind of the initial stage, Um, co-writing as a process is not something that uh, academics are generally encouraged or supported or guided uh, on how to do. So um, maybe just since some listeners might be authors themselves – Um, How how can we do this successfully? What did you all learn in this experience? Would it be something you would do again?
3: Let me take that one on first.
0: uh, And first to say I learned a lot and I would
3: definitely do it again. Um, And that one of the great pleasures of the book was making the decision that it it wasn't just the case that each of us would individually author a chapter, but that we would actually co-author things. Someone would write the first draft. Someone would go over a second. Someone would go over a third. It would go around and around so that every bit of the book is tri-authored. Um, it's a slow process um, in the sense that one's kind of reading things again and again and again, but it, every sentence in the book in some ways is the result of a conversation. And the pleasure is the three of us having different training, different ideas, kind of conflicting ideas It allowed us to really develop our thinking and to also have our thinking challenged. Um, so slow, but incredibly productive. Will, what do you think?
1: I I would say, uh, first of all, in, in, uh, addressing your point about it being slow. Um, I, I agree it was very productive and I'm a very slow writer myself. Um, and I think that one of the things that keeps me, uh, writing at a slow pace is, is a kind of incessant tendency to second guess myself to uh you know to try different verbal figurations on for size to but in any case I'm slow and um <laughs> I don't think I was slower uh as part of our trio I think mm-hmm. um you know my two partners took, took on a lot of that work for me and uh, if I had set out to write the whole book myself, you know, it would have been a completely different, different project, but I don't know that we would have, or I would have finished it any faster. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, the, in, in making this, the, the, kind of conversational dimension, um, of productivity, creativity, explicit, uh, it was a very successful experiment. Um, I, I just have two short points to connect with that. I think one thing Andy alluded to this um, but to, uh, to make it clear, the three of us are trained in different ways and, and we have different disciplinary orientations within religious studies. Um, Andy brings philological expertise. Um, Christian is a historian and, um, my own research is ethnographically based. Uh, and so that led to a very fertile three-way conversation, um, the last one is Christian uh, Peterson. You um, you kicked off this question by asking, "Would you do it again?" And I would qualify and that yes by saying I would do it again with friends. But mm. I think this is you know we found our groove, and it wasn't without our, our path had its bumps along the way. And I wouldn't under, I wouldn't counsel this as a productive method for three people who don't know each other very well and mm. who don't want to hang out. With other outside of uh the work context so that's that's my caveat (laughs) yes that's a
2: that's a great point um and maybe i could just add one thing to that which is that we 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 also um came up with a we, we were constantly um finding form that would match uh our partnership so um one of the things that you probably noticed about the book that's for us very important is that we there isn't really an agreement, and that we we don't want an agreement. We want there to be um, multiple points of view, view even disagreeing points of view, uh, which doesn't necessarily represent a disagreement with us, but it allows a certain kind of flexibility mm-hmm. um, to the form. So if I, you know, often when people ask me about this book, the first question they ask is, "How did you manage to write this book with two other people?" And uh, and part of the answer to that is the kind of book that it is. If we were um, if we were trying to to reach one single agreed upon point that would have been very hard um and it also wouldn't have been nearly as interesting
1: uh, yeah i agree entirely yeah. yeah me too
0: so um yeah maybe we can maybe we can talk about that a little bit um one of the things that i really appreciated about the book is um you know when i'm teaching i teach a religion and film course sometimes and when I do this, I often talk about that you know audiences read these things in multiple ways depending on their positionality, their preparedness, their assumptions about the world. Um, and I, I think you guys highlight that in, in very clear ways uh, in the way you structured the book and in the way you guys looked at this from, from multiple angles. Um, so in terms of your kind of approach or setup. It's this unique kind of multi pronged assessment, I guess, uh, for lack of better oh. words. but um so <laughs> could you could you explain kind of the design of the book and the chapters, and uh, how did you see uh, these working in complement to each other, perhaps?
1: I would say structurally, the core of the argument originates in that panel that uh, mm-hmm. that Christian was talking about. Wouldn't you guys say? Yeah,
3: right. So I agree, I agree, Will. There are four main chapters, and the three chapters, chapters one, two, and three, one is Amar, then Akbar, then Anthony, and each of them is like a kind of an Amar-centric view of the film, then an Akbar-centric, and an Anthony-centric. And in some ways, it's not just that it's different views on the film. One's We could say one's textual, one's intertextual, and then Anthony is metatextual. So the idea is that it's three different points of view, but also three different kind of frameworks, even for engaging with the film. Um, So that was a real pleasure to write. So it allowed us to stretch out. And sometimes something that would have been written in one chapter would get moved to another chapter, depending on the perspective. So there was a kind of fluidity and flexibility. Uh, The Ma chapter is the one that's probably the most complicated, um, because the Ma chapter has an... Umar-centric view of Ma, an Akbar-centric view of Ma, an Anthony-centric view of Ma, and then a Ma-centric view of Ma, Ma's own take on herself and the film. Um, So that's the kind of, uh, I don't know, the tour de force chapter that's just the most packed in it. Uh, And it's the Ma chapter that was not represented at the original Madison panel, but we felt was absolutely essential. Uh, And in just the same way that we make uh, arguments that Amar, Akbar, and Anthony are each the heroes of the film, as we do in each chapter. In the Ma chapter, we do say that Ma herself is the heroine of the film.
2: Yes, and I I might add that in terms of of when we produced that that chapter, we also did that again in conjunction with a conference. We kind of reprised our... um, uh, idea of theatrically presenting material at Madison when we attended in what what was it 2000 what was it 2013 was that it 2015 mm-hmm. so so right before the book came out so but the we were the book was was basically done and, and but it but it was also a catalyst for our, us to to think through um what our perspective on ma would be from the point of view of each of the brothers and then of course from ourselves and then we put together um an even more theatrical, much more theatrical uh, <laughs> panel that uh, had us in, not only in the costumes of the characters, but uh, if you've seen the film, you know that at the end of the film, the three characters themselves go into costume, right? They, they go into disguise, so we, we put on those disguises. Uh, and then we had some uh, scripted audience participation, all kinds of things sort of happened in that. Um, but that, again, with, you know, we've kind of used. Uh, public presentation as a way to craft some of the parts of the book and help us think through the book. So that's been a kind of technique that we've used in in, in structuring this this text that we've put together.
1: One of the um, most gracious and um, penetrating reviews that uh, our work has received um, emphasizes this fourth chapter, the chapter about Ma, uh, the three boys' mother, um, and points out that the the flow of the argument in this chapter follows the narrative arc of a typical Bollywood film um, of the period that we're writing about. Um, at, kind of as a gag, uh, Andy noticed at one point that the chapter was just getting really long because effectively we were packing in four arguments in a single <laughs> chapter, right? Mm-hmm. And. You know, we'd produce these ridiculous long word documents, which themselves were stitched together. You know, sort of exquisite corpse style, out of four different <laughs> arguments originating among three different authors. And he said, you know, we should put an intermission in the middle of this chapter because that's how you get through a three-hour-long ballad. Right? <laughs> uh,
0: basically,
1: it's interval instead of intermission. So we just sort of popped that word right into the middle. And it sort of it, it had um, an effect of its own. It enabled us to uh, to write the final chapter um, along a certain rhythm. And uh, honestly, though, until I read the uh, the review, um, I, I didn't realize how well it had worked for other people. It was a deeply <laughs> satisfying finding that yes hits the the interval after our second argument. Then the third argument comes along and looks like it's going to trump the second argument. And then at last we have a fourth argument that sort of strips away all the veils and disguises and, you know, takes off the masks and it all turns out that uh you know, the the true hero of the movie is the mother. Um I I felt like if other people got what we were doing there and it didn't just seem a sort of, um, like a self-indulgent gesture on our part. A jump um, the shark moment. hmm Yeah. Haven't yet jumped the shark. Yeah. That was very satisfying.
0: So if we can, uh, perhaps jump into, um, more detail, what, what you guys are up to, um... I would imagine that a good place to start would be to kind of explain what this film is, but, uh, and you guys have probably mastered this, but I realized in trying to explain what I did at work to my children yesterday, I tried to explain what this film was about. And it was very, it was very difficult to do. Um, Oh, try it. Give it a try. Give it a try. Well, it's, it's, uh, Jim Peterson, we
1: know what this film is about.
0: Yeah, so if, if people haven't seen this film, um, <laughs> it's filled with uh, romance and violence and martial arts and uh, songs and dance and, and and all sorts of amazing images. Uh, and yeah, it's it is a, a unique and kind of jolting experience. I forget which one of you said that, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a memorable. View, if nothing else, um, but perhaps uh, core to this, and because you know my perspective, uh, and you know f- f- for the most part, uh, the three of you, um, religion plays a very key part in our interests, if nothing else. Um, but in the book, right, the three brothers are are separated, and then are raised in three uh, traditions: one as a Muslim, one as a Hindu, and one as a Christian, uh, and Perhaps we can start with that. Uh, there are other perhaps more natural progressions. Right. One of the, the kind of key arguments that's made about the film and you guys also kind of dissect this is this, it is a powerful allegory about the Indian nation at a, a particular time in history. Uh, so we can address that. Um, but I'm also I'm also really interested in this this question of uh, how how does religion play out in this and and not only kind of as it uh, is formulated in specific traditions, but also in developing a, a kind of key sense of Indian secularism at the time. So I, I don't know where to go with that. I don't, I don't have a specific question, but perhaps we can think about that for uh, a moment.
3: There's a lot to say in response to that. Uh, I mean, another book's worth of material, or maybe simply <laughs> our book. Um, but I mean, one of the pleasures, I think, of thinking about how religion functions here is that it isn't simply that Amar, Akbar, and Anthony are each kind of of raised in some normative version of these respective religions, Hinduism, kind of Islam, and Christianity, but in some ways that there are particular constructs of these religions that are located in time and place and kind of responding to particular audiences. And I think it's the, the particularity of the way that religion is used to construct visions of the family, to construct visions of the nation to construct visions hoods of kind of a brotherhood and what kind of Indian secularism looks like, which is very different from American secularism. So that religion plays a particular role, but it's not, it's not a, some simplified version of religion. It actually ends up being incredibly complex. And I think that that's the part that people are so surprised at, is that we're looking at a movie that was a comedy and playful, and in some ways we're playful ourselves, but we're very serious in our analyses. Um, so the trick in this was to be kind of serious and playful simultaneously and to make real points about the kind of construction of religious identity and its connection to secularism, the state, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yes, I think I could add to, to uh, Andy's point there that, um, that we, <clears throat> we, obviously we, we're scholars of religion, but as Will had pointed out, we each have a particular... Uh, set of questions that we ask when we're thinking about religion, text, uh, questions about text, questions about history, questions about culture. And so the the thing that kind of pulled us to the film was that the film seemed to be doing that, too. It was almost like uh, it was made for the religious studies major. It was <laughs> through religion. It was telling us about all sorts of things. Andy mentioned a few of them about nation, state, family. Uh, you know, we talk about politics, obviously, everywhere, about civil society we talk about geography we talk about the politics of geography we talk about gender and class um you know we really uh see we we see this film saying um religion is a way to open the door to just about everything else and we try to see what's on the other side of that door
0: yeah
1: um i have one thing to add which is uh i guess about Maybe the hermeneutics um, of of the film for us as people who did not grow up in India, where we're not from Indian or Deshi families, um, and we encountered this film initially as something strange, you know, something strange and marvelous. Um, I think that the key for all three of us um, for cracking the code and figuring out. You know, I should also back up one second and say that what for us was so strange turned out to be just the most familiar kind of taken for granted piece of, of background <laughs> cultural culture or something for um, our Indian contemporaries. Uh, so that, you know, Amar Akbar Anthony occupies a, a place in Indian popular imagination kind of analogous to, to Star Wars. Um, for Americans, both movies that were released in, in 1977, hugely popular. You know, everybody has seen this movie. And, it, of course, they're totally different movies, but they're, they're also both mass market entertainment. And there's something that seems a little silly about them on the surface. But Andy and Christian and I were all coming to this movie from outside. We really, you know, we had such a hunger to, to understand it and the path to understanding it leads through religious symbolism. Um, and to be a bit more specific, religious symbolism of a sort that, again, is, is just kind of part of your cultural context. If you grow up in India, you you understand that, oh, Muslims are represented in a certain way. And, oh, you know, these aspects of uh, these moral decisions that seem kind of arbitrary if you aren't familiar with uh, Hindu teachings on ethics—they make sense if you know, you know what the the antecedent of that decision is in Hindu teaching, and so on. So once we discovered that, oh, well, actually, this movie, which so many outsiders say it's, ridiculous, it's silly, it's chaotic, it doesn't make sense. No, the more we learn about. Indian religions and the way that religions are represented in India, the more this movie actually makes sense.
0: Um, so perhaps we can we can zoom in here to the, the the first chapter where you focus on Amar. Uh, you know, kind of exemplifies this approach of thinking about well, what right, if Amar is a is a Hindu? What type of Hindu is he? What what does he tell the audience about being a Hindu? Um, what that identity is in relation to the state, in relation to other types of communities so how, how did you see this character how did you kind of uh read the film uh through this lens of of amar one of the
3: things that makes amar interesting when people first watch the film is that in the case of when the three brothers are separated from their parents and each other under a gandhi statue on independence day and then each picked up by these de facto fathers who will raise them In the case of Akbar and Anthony's, the fathers are explicitly religious. Uh, Akbar's would-be father, we first find him praying. Anthony's father is actually a a man of the cloth, a padre. And Umar's father is a police, police officer, is an inspector. And inside Umar's home and the inspector, we see no obvious religious insignia. It's as though Hinduism itself has simply been swallowed up by the state. Um, So my students are always a little bit baffled about that. How is it that somehow kind of the explicit forms of kind of Hindu religiosity aren't there? There's no going to temple. When we see inside Umar's home, we don't see anyone doing any puja, etc. So what's the relationship here between Hinduism and the state? Uh, And this ends up being a kind of complicated argument about Hindu kind of, we could say, a certain vision of Hinduism and state power. Mm-hmm. I could go on but I'm trying to like split it up so that the three brothers each <laughs> get to do so one. No, go on.
2: Go on. No, man, no, no, no.
3: We're we're, <laughs> we're collectively writing this.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that's uh yes, he's he's the big brother. So we're trying to figure out, you know, really what is who who and what is the big brother here. Um and we we play that out and um uh this is a this is a film that's been talked about by a lot of people in a lot of books in a lot of different ways and um and uh, ahmad this the connection uh is often made that ahmad is a kind of symbol of a sort of normativity but we really try to to push at that and to figure out what does that mean what are the implications of that um uh and uh not just in terms of, of of these religious icons. I mean, we talk about it in terms of the relationship between Ahmad and uh, his, uh, his female co-star as we do with the other figures too. It's uh, one of the things that, that we point out is that they kind of leap immediately to marriage. It seems (laughs) from a kind of position of ill repute to, to, uh, to finally being a respectable woman. So, so also how does Ahmad make the whole sphere respectable? This is, um, this is one of the things we grapple with in that chapter. Tell us about the gun. Yeah. who wants to do the I, gun?
1: I, I'm not going to talk about the gun. I think we should we should we should leave that. Uh, leave it buried.
0: That's a that's a good mystery. Now now they'll have to, have to uh-huh. right put that out there.
1: Um, I do want to add one thing yeah, to ahead. our discussion of Umar. Uh just that um, Dinod Kanna, who is the um, the movie star who played the role of Umer, he passed away last week, and. Among the tributes to him that um, soon took over my Facebook feed, uh, a friend from India, a journalist, posted, you know, a a photo of him with the comment, nobody ever made righteousness seem so sexy. Mm. And that was a really, you know, lovely tribute to (laughs) -hmm. to this actor uh, who... You know, he's played plenty of bad guys and rogues, but the dominant image is very much the Umar image of the kind of uh, the straight arrow, the good guy, the, you know, the hero who follows the rules and he triumphs in the end. And along the way, you know, like there's there's this kind of palpable sex appeal, this charisma. He makes being the good older brother look really good.
3: I'll just say one thing about it, though, just just to kind of add in the intrigue. There's the sense that Umar follows all the rules, except he doesn't. Um, <laughs> within the logic of the film, he's always taking the law into his own hands. And there's a way within the film that this seems normal and it seems right and it seems proper. But at another level, it also seems peculiar, uh, offering the woman who would be his wife uh, his marital bed as opposed to jail when she breaks the law. Um, mm. And you're like, how? Oh, what's going on here that someone can <laughs> take the law in their own hands and still be thought of as being kind of the straight shooter? Mm-hmm. And just as a little teaser, why did he bury that gun that his father <laughs> gave him in the beginning of the movie? Uh, Get the mm-hmm. book and
0: find out. You know, as an Islamist, uh, I, w- I was very interested in this chapter on uh, Akbar, and um, you do a similar uh, type of positioning of him, both kind of in the larger cinematic landscapes of Muslims in Indian film, um, but also in relation to what what is the type of Muslim uh, that one should be, as, right? In, in the sense of communicating to an audience um, that's probably working with a set of assumptions about. Uh, how Muslims are supposed to behave, how they are represented um, so what what were some of the the angles you you took in thinking about uh, akbar 's character
1: <laughs> I think that i 'll start by saying that one of the things that the film really values and that puts forward as um, as something that 's desirable and attractive and ultimately righteous um, is is um, you want to be, you want to be a modern Indian person. Um, that's uh, by the end of the film, all three of uh, our heroes have emerged as sort of fully realized moderns. Part of that modernity is um, is secularism. What's called secularism in the Indian context. Uh, the three guys discover that. Oh, uh, I'm a Muslim. You're a Hindu, and you're a Christian. And yet, truly, we are brothers. We three are brothers. Um, we all share an innate Indianness. Uh, we also are forward-looking and modern, and dedicated to um, to building uh, society together. Um, so, having said that, I, I think the stakes are pe- peculiarly high um, when it comes to the Muslim character, and um, the film. The film explores this conflict among the Muslim characters um, by creating what we refer to as the Muslim subplot. There's a strand of the narrative that um, involves exclusively Muslim characters in Muslim spaces within the film. And it stages the good Muslim, Akbar, uh, against bad Muslims. I mean, you know, uh, uh, even the villainous characters in this movie aren't... um, aren't they aren't villainous in more than a a kind of comic opera way but um akbar's chief antagonist and the representative of bad muslim things is his uh his future father-in-law the father of his beloved um and one thing that the film does that is very clever and sensitive and um that involved a lot of research on our part uh it it had us digging through um it had us digging through a whole generation of earlier hindi movies about muslims and it also had us digging through urdu poetry uh sufi soteriology you know a, a great deal of um of the history of Islam in India, um, it's, it's this device. The good Muslim, Akbar, is a poet, and he's kind of presented in a, in a way that locates himself at the sort of heroic poet love of uh, Urdu and Persian poetry, mystical poetry. And his antagonist is the sheikh, the, the kind of uh, bearded man of orthodoxy and in this movie's rendition um, orthodoxy also kind of hidebound tradition um, Akbars forward looking his father-in-law is backward looking and in in uh, squarely in the tradition of um, the literature that is the antecedent of this um, of this narrative, the sheikh turns out to be a hypocrite. Um, and he's exposed towards the end of the movie as observing pieties on the surface and inwardly being corrupt. Um, and so this is realized, you know, again, in a very sort of comic, um, lighthearted way, uh, when Akbar succeeds in demonstrating the sheikhs, Hypocrisy, both to him and in front of his daughter, um, whom Akbar loves, and finally the father-in-law consents and says, "Okay, I, you know, I concede you were right. On you are a worthy suitor to my daughter. Um, Please, the two of you." That actually is an allegory of the triumph of a new, forward-looking Indian Muslim. Uh, identity, over and again, hidebound traditional ways that the film projects as historically having held Muslims back.
2: Yeah, that's 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 really well said in how we deal with with um, with uh, Islam here as a cultural form, as a political form, and. Uh, And one of the things I would add to that is one of the ways we look at Akbar is he's he he's the one who sort of uh, lifts the veils. Um, uh, And he's uh, the nexus for for the rediscovery of everyone's kind of true identity uh, through the Sai Baba when they're at the Sai Baba temple. And from that moment onwards, they're all kinds of kind of reconnecting. So he's also um, a figure who we kind of see removing the veils of secularism, showing some of the, the things that lie behind these ideas. Um, and, and in that way, he's, he really is in the middle. He's kind of negotiating uh, uh, relationships, uh, truth relationships. Um, and he is kind of this, this figure of, uh, of a real kind of honesty and truth. And he kind of knows who he is. And, um, so it's very important uh, to have him at the center. And we we kind of make that point.
3: A few more little bits to add in. Uh, One of the real pleasure of Akbar's character is that one of the ways that he lifts the veil is through poetry and song. So Mm -hmm. it's a, a mechanism for the film itself to kind of comment on the power of its songs and the ability for kind of song and poetry to dispel illusion. In some ways, validating the own practice within Indian films of having so many film songs. Uh, and them doing very special work. Um, The other thing that I like so much about Akbar's character is it's a way for the film to kind of comment upon and engage with this whole lineage of Muslim socials, these kind of Islamic films from the generation before. So it's placing the film in conversation with with even more films and with other ways of representing kind of Islamic identity in India. Uh, So a lot happens with Akbar's character.
0: Uh-huh. Now, uh, some listeners of this uh, who aren't perhaps familiar with uh, Indian religious life, Anthony is a Christian of sorts, <laughs> uh, or at least is raised. <laughs> um, no, he's totally he's a, he's a, he's a Christian. He <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's, he's very much framed in a Christian context. Um, so how how does this uh, – what, what does this tell us about Christianity and Indian society? Um how might we think about his character in relation to, to the others? Uh, what happens when Anthony is uh, central?
2: Well, uh, you know, I can maybe take a stab at answering that. The 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 easy answer is that this is actually a film about Anthony. The <laughs> other brothers are kind of ancillary and kind of participate in, um, yeah. in the story. <laughs> is, I think my brothers would agree it's actually about Anthony. Uh, so one of the things that we talk about in this chapter is we play up the irony of the of the kind of uh, extra diegetical the kind of uh, the, the 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 fact that the world's biggest movie star plays this character and at this point he isn't the world's biggest movie star but he's certainly uh, getting there and we kind of make an argument about what this film does for showing that Amitabh Bachchan can kind of do everything and kind of be everything in terms of Indian cinema. Um, but we play then off of the fact that that the figure of Anthony is himself uh, very um, uh, marginalized in multiple ways, uh, and we talk about you know all of them that we can think of here. But kind of the chief one is that he's um, he is he is a good Christian, but he is also a wayward one, and you kind of see that at the very beginning of the film as we see. The boys turn into men through the figure of Anthony um, confessing. And then you see that he's outside of the state, and you see that in his conflicts with um, – also with, uh, with 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 Ahmad, and he also has conflicts with Akbad because he feels that Akbad isn't pursuing the love that he represents. So um, so Anthony is an antagonistic figure in multiple ways, uh, and we kind of read that antagonism as in, in, in terms of also the stardom of Amitabh Bachchan as representing certain kinds of irony um, in, in terms of reading his his character, uh, and that you know, that irony is, is all the more important because he is of the three religious communities. He represents, um, obviously the smallest, of the Christian population is about two, two and a half percent. Um, and so, and yet we also point out that Christianity has, has not had a sort of two to two and a half percent influence on India because, uh, Anthony is also a figure that gets related to colonialism and post-colonialism and ideas about Christianity and the world and the force of Christianity. So this chapter kind of takes on a lot of that and tries to understand um, how Anthony um, is uh, representing some of these uh, a- a ideas about Christianity, about um, the legal system, about the state, um, you know, kind of uh, bringing together a number of forces uh, ultimately around the idea that Anthony is um, self-consciously enacting these. And we relate this to an idea of someone uh, named Ashish Nandi who talks about the the idea of the intimate enemy, of the kind of – the way that uh, colonialism required a kind of – required of Indians a a, a kind of um, – uh, self-deprecation, in a sense, in terms of, of the, the figure of the muscular Christian. So uh, so we try to look at some of that through Anthony. Um, and one of the interesting things we point out about Anthony is that, is that Anthony kind of knows he wasn't born Anthony. <laughs> he carries around a note from his mother, and he has a good sense of sort of who he was, that he was likely Hindu. And uh, he's also the only figure who definitely doesn't have a mother because his adoptive father is a is a Catholic priest who, who wouldn't be married. So he is a figure that's both kind of liminal, but he's also sort of right at the center for us. And that irony is something that we play with in this, in this book.
1: Yeah. I, um, enjoyed the, the kind of mm, hesitation or ambiguity, uh, Christian Peterson in, in the way that you framed your question. Um, and this is really just to amplify Christian nevetsky 's point, but, um, I think you could say that the film puts Amar forward as a good Hindu, um, even though the, the Hinduism is not overt in the case of Amar's depiction, but you just have to scratch beneath the surface a little bit. uh, And you'll see that he's, uh, he embodies certain principles um, espoused by classical Orthodox Hinduism, particularly those centered on uh, Dharma. Similarly, Akbar is the film's idea of a good Muslim, but Chris, uh, sorry, uh, Anthony is not really a good Christian, um, and uh, religious symbolism sort of we probe it, and we it gets us it gets us only so far. Um, we part of our discussion of Anthony involves an investigation of tropes of Christianity um, as deployed in Indian popular cinema. Um, and many of these actually, I don't know if this will make sense, but um, they sort of lead the character into a dead end. Um, the character's potential for growth turns out, I think, not really to have to do with Christianity. Um, the, the really interesting thing here is that of the three heroes, there's no question that Anthony is the character who has the most fully developed um, interiority and his inner life is, uh, it, it is explored and um, expressed through narrative and action and virtuosic acting by Amitabh Bachchan. Um, but the inner struggle, when you come down to it, it turns out that the Christianity is really sort of standing in for... Uh, for the experience of all Indians across religious boundaries with colonialism. Um, So that uh, Christian symbolism is itself symbolic, uh, where it really counts in the story of Anthony, the Mm -hmm. character. What it's symbolic of is this kind of psychic crisis of being a colonized subject. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. So again, just an amplification of uh, Christian. Mm -hmm. point.
3: So I'll add one more point, too, which is that, you know, one of the peculiarities about uh, the Anthony character here is that um, to the extent that he is heroic, uh, following kind of Christian's argument about it being the center of the film, he's also the one that's most in opposition to the state. Uh, He has his own little dispensation. He has Anthonyville that kind of follows his rules. So in some ways he is. He is the king of his own little fiefdom. So it's interesting to think about what that says politically about his identity, that the construction of this kind of heroic like person is someone who literally follows his own rules, his own laws. Uh, And this, again, allows us to explore more about the kind of the political climate of India in the 1970s. So there's a lot there. And that, too, has implications of kind of colonial history.
0: Um, so the the final chapter um, before the conclusion is focused on uh, the mother of these three men, um, and as you guys mentioned earlier, this this chapter uh, you know centers the mother, but also kind of looks at this in perhaps uh, the most uh, in terms of multiple angles. Um, so uh, there's lots lots to talk about here. Uh, we've been talking for a long time. So um, perhaps what what did you find most uh, in, important or striking in your analysis of um, the mother figure? Um, yeah, and h- how did you see her playing out in the in the film?
1: The organization of the chapter replicates well. It replicates and reverses the organizational scheme of um, the first part of the book, where we go from Amar, the Hindu character, to Akbar, the Muslim character, to Anthony, the Catholic character. Um, In the Ma chapter, first, Anthony steps up and gives an account of what happens to his mother in the film from a Christian perspective. And in this interpretation, um, Ma, the mother, is is found pretty wanting. She's just not a very good mother. Uh, Then Akbar takes over and uh, gives an alternative reading uh, of the mother's progress. um, And the the hermeneutic here um, relies on um, Islamic teachings um, about submission and judgment. Um, And then finally, we have Amr giving a Hindu-inflected account of events in Ma's (laughs) narrative Uh, finally, the last word belongs to Ma herself. And I think this is, this is, uh, this is what I'm going to present, um, in, uh, my little uh, reading of the chapter right now, um, as the key move that the chapter makes, it is to say that there are at least two possible readings of what's going on with this character, um, that are grounded in... Hindu tradition and Hindu symbolism. And that there's, there's actually a kind of her, her character embodies an argument that is internal to Hinduism that has to do with goddesses, with uh, women's roles, um, with modernity, with a gendering of a kind of, you know, um, a tendency in the modernization of Hindu tradition uh, that masculinizes it. We could say, um, versus other traditions, life ways, um, ritual practices that have been relegated and mar- relegated to the margins um, as backward, rustic, primitive, uh, and female. So we, we in, at the end of the chapter, and really the end of the core of the book, we try and open up some space for these voices that have been historically marginalized um, within Hinduism in the past 100, 150 years or so. Um, and uh, it's, it's our, uh, it, it was sort of a moment of triumph for us, I feel, that we could excavate this material, which is there in the film. And, and it was perhaps the most elusive and initially baffling substrate of the film's symbolism.
2: Yeah, this that's very nicely said. I think um I think we, we run through several themes and and one that I would sort of trace to here is is this this theme of sacrifice. Um and the the woman who plays the mother here plays mothers in many films and often she's a figure of sacrifice and um and by that I mean someone who, who uh sacrifices the self or for whom you sacrifice. And so when we as Will points out, we kind of reverse the order and Anthony sees the mother as a bad mother, he's kind of um, he's upset with her choice that she sees as a sacrifice. And this is also a place where we talk about other mothers. There there are at least two others in this film. This is uh, Santoshima, a, a Hindu goddess for whom there's also a film, and then the Virgin Mary, and Anthony is communicating with all, all three of them, <laughs> trying to uh, get help where he can get it, and uh, one of the things we argue is he really gets it from Santoshima and the Virgin Mary. And then as we move to Akbar, we... We have uh, we have a kind of sacrifice that she offers. She uh, we we describe it as a blood sacrifice. She she she's bleeding from her head as she falls at the steps of the temp of the of the of the temple of the Sai Baba. Uh, what do we describe it as? Structure She <laughs> at the Sai Baba structure yeah. <laughs> and um, and this sacrifice then produces a response. Uh, but Akbad here is uh, one of the things we argue is a way to kind of recover. Uh, Bharti as a mother. She again becomes a mother. She sees her children as uh, children superimposed over the figure of Sai Baba and then realizes that her adult uh, boys are around her. Um, and then when we talk about uh, Ahmad and the righteous mother, we kind of shift this argument away from the idea of a mother who sacrifices and to a mother uh, for whom one must sacrifice. And this leads us to a discussion of Mother India. And here we also uh, kind of gesture back to the beginning of the film, which shows a blood sacrifice, uh, right? Each of the three brothers giving blood to the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, uh, this is uh, kind of one way that we think through the mother figure as well, as, is as a figure of sacrifice um, of what she demands and what she gives.
3: The one thing I'd like to add uh, to what's Christian saying is that we have these different narratives that occur within the Ma chapter, within each of these subsections of Anthony, Akbar, Amar, and Ma, and many of them kind of become apparent to all at once in one particular scene. Uh, and this happens at the Sai Baba structure when Bharati being chased by villains is kind of, called by akbar's voice singing makes her way through the wilderness which protects her to the saibaba structure and when she arrives at the temple and kind of bows her head and lifts it up there is kind of a mark a bloody mark on her forehead and we revisit this scene again and again and again and again i think four times <laughs> in the film at least uh, in some ways to think about how one scene can embody multiple interpretations and in some ways to make a single choice uh, is to misread it. Um, That by somehow allowing it to stay fluid, allowing it to be part of different narratives, is part of the appreciation of the film. So Mm. in some ways we save an important methodological point, actually, for this kind of concluding part of the book, thinking Mm -hmm. about allowing for a certain kind of flexibility and kind of multiplicity of meanings uh, Mm -hmm. to be what it means to kind of get the film. So in this case, getting the film isn't limiting readings, but being kind of open to a kind of abundance, even if the abundance in some ways doesn't sit well together. So in some ways, our methodological kind of ideas and our interpretive ideas kind of come together in the finale of the chapter.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and um, I might add one thing that we, uh, that we deal with here, too, is that uh, we, we also have at least two failing fathers, Right, we have we have um, Kishinlal, who really should not have gone to help his boss at the beginning <laughs> of the film, and we have Robert, who uh, you know he's just kind of a dick.
0: I mean, he's yeah. just
2: not he's not a good guy. And so when his when his daughter is abducted by Kishinlal, while it might be a punishment, one gets the sense that uh, you know she's being raised in a in a in a better household. Um, so we have these fathers who fail. And uh, the film is framed by the state. It begins uh, in some ways with the prison scene when Kishinlaw is released, and it ends when Kishinlaw and Robert are in jail. And we see Kishinlaw on one side of the bars, and his whole family on the other. And they're reunited for a second, but then it's over again. He's back in prison. Um, so it's uh, when we're dealing with the mother, we're also dealing throughout the book with the also the, the fact that these fathers are are missing. Um, but they're not good fathers and this it has a direct relationship to how we look at and read critiques of the state one of the things we mention is that this book i mean sorry this uh, this film was was actually made during the emergency and couldn't be released until after the uh, towards the end of the emergency so it was it was also a film produced in the context of a of a state that was um, undemocratic
0: well there I mean there's so much in this book that uh, as as with the film that we could continue talking about. I might just add if there are listeners that have kind of made it this far with us i don't know if, if they have but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that if people are teaching a uh, a religion and film course or uh, you know or perhaps even South Asian religions or something, um this chapter on the mother would be uh something really uh useful, I think in the context if if people uh Choose to choose, uh, use the film in the in a course. So, um, I think you guys do kind of exemplify this multi-pronged approach and this kind of uh, you know multi-sided uh, in, in interpretive process that you do throughout the book. But uh, obviously, it's consolidated here in a particular way. Um, we have been talking for a long time. Um, there are lots of other things we could talk about, of course. But uh, is there anything you guys would like to say, kind of? Uh, in closing, thinking about the book, that perhaps uh, is really important that we we didn't address.
2: Uh, maybe I'll just say one thing that we haven't kind of brought up: that this film is accessible on so many levels, and um, and when people ask me about it, they wonder: should I read the book first? Should I should I watch the film? How can I watch the film? Uh, so it doesn't really matter which comes first. But the but you can find this film on YouTube with fantastic subtitles, um, and so uh, we really. We really uh, think of this this book as a tribute to that film. That, as we kind of said at the beginning <laughs> of this conversation, this film meant quite a lot to us um, when we first encountered it, and it and uh, it's been really important to us um, in terms of our thinking about our own work, our thinking about our partnership as writers, um, uh, our, our sense of how we approach our academic subjects. Uh, and uh, and I guess one thing I would say is I just encourage anyone who's listening to this to just see it, just <laughs> click over to YouTube, find that 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 version with some titles, and watch it um, and then read our book and write your own book.
3: I'm going to say one thing, too, about that kind of um, this film for us actually function in some amazing way, actually as a teacher um, and that to spend time with each of these characters and really trying to make sense of the film was for us a kind of course in itself. So to suddenly think of the film kind of teaching us, not just us exploring it, uh, but to think of these various characters as people that we could learn from, what would it be like to inhabit the world in these ways? What would it be like to see these worlds in these ways? Just a kind of different sensibility of thinking about how this film works. And I can say from my side, like, thinking in this way, the film has really taught me a lot. Um, And that there's a pleasure in seeing the film, but there's also a pleasure in sort of Patience with a film, just kind of living with it and seeing what happens if you really get inside it.
1: I think really I'm um, echoing my two illustrious co-authors here. But um, one of the really wonderful things about using this film uh, or or regarding it as a kind of educational or instructional text for ourselves uh, and using it as a pedagogical tool for students in classes, as you were saying, Christian, on film and religion, or perhaps introduction to South Asian religions, I began the sentence by saying one of the wonderful things. The wonderful thing is that it's so silly. It's so silly, (laughs) so funny, and so colorful, and so over the top. It really is a gateway drug, if there ever was one. I think here at the end of our conversation with you, Christian, it's it's our uh, opportunity to brag that, Uh, Just 10 days ago or so, we were tweeted in India by Amitabh Bachchan, the the star of the film and uh, sort of the godfather of Bollywood. And uh, we're in the process right now of writing back to him. We're inscribing a signed copy of our book to send back to him. And we're telling him, you've been our teacher. And not only that, you know, not only did you help us study Hindi and understand the history of Indian cinema, and guide us through the study of uh, three distinct religious traditions. Um, but we have already turned your film into a teaching tool. And um, mm-hmm. it, this book enables us to, uh, to continue to do so, you know, um, to, to amplify the use of the film Amarak Bar-Anthony um, as a way of introducing more students in America and other places to the study of the religions and cultures of South Asia, you know, I, I think that uh, we really will have succeeded. Mm. Here, here.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on, on all the success uh, on all fronts. It's a, it's a wonderful book and I do hope that listeners will pick it up. Um, it's also our tradition to, to end conversations here at New and Religion with a little bit about uh, what we can expect from from y'all in the future. Um, so, uh, I know that some of you have stuff that have just come out or about to come out, um, and perhaps, uh, will there be more work on, on film in any ways? What, what do you guys have in the pipeline?
2: Uh, I have a book that's just come out called The Quotidian Revolution that is with Columbia University Press, and it basically argues for the emergence of, uh, public sphere in 13th century India. And I have a book I'm writing with the uh, political scientist Sunila Kai uh, on um, a yoga as a political idea. So those two projects are going on. Andy, who had to depart us, has two extraordinary translations of the Divya Vadanas. Uh, his first book, of course, I think we've already mentioned maybe, but then another book that's coming out about ideas of uh, market and religion, uh, sort of a, a broad book that he's he's working on. And... And, um, and Will has a fantastic book in the pipeline.
1: I have a book coming out from university of Chicago press. Uh, it's called the neighborhood of gods and it's a, uh, it's an ethnography of religious practice in contemporary Mumbai. And, um, I'm interested in slum communities and squats. Um, I'm interested in religious practice on the street, uh, especially where, um, the, Open practice of religion in public space leads to uh, conflict with the state, and I'm also interested in religious practice in film studios. Um, two of my principal fieldwork sites were actually Bollywood film studios. Uh, and um, as for future work in film, you know the the Amar Akbar Anthony book uh, came about as a result of. Kind of, I I don't know when we crossed over from joking to serious, but Mm -hmm. we joked around for an awfully long time among the three of us Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. maybe a panel on Amar Akbar Anthony, and you know maybe there's a book down the line if the panel goes well. So um, I I think maybe just in the nascent stage of joking around, if we were going to do a film, Christian, maybe Mister India. Yeah, yes, maybe Mr. India. Mr. India India is sort of to the the Bollywood cinema of of the 80s, I would say, what Amarakwari Anthony was to the 70s. I mean, the the trick is to find another movie as overloaded and as exuberant and with as much material for for three people to collaborate on as this one. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Indian popular film is an exuberant medium, so uh, we'll find our text, I think. <laughs> we will.
0: <Does laughs> well, thank you guys for, for making the time to, to talk about your great book, and uh, yeah, good luck on everything in the future. Thank
1: you. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. you too.
0: Thanks so much. And that was my conversation with William Ellison, Christian Lee Nevetsky, and Andy Rotman about their great new book, Amar Akbar Anthony, Bollywood, Brotherhood, and the Nation, published with Harvard University Press in 2016. Thanks for listening to New Books in Religion.